0: What a privilege it is to come here this morning, Um, um, it's a real blessing to be here and uh, to do another invitation Sunday, Uh, I'm still got the pre-fight jitters right now, I was talking to my brother out back and I said what cured that real quick, it's just a punch me in a jar real quick and that goes away really fast and I'm back to normal, I'm loose, but I think we're going to be okay, I don't think I'll need that, I wouldn't ask the bigger guys to do that because I need to be conscious while I'm speaking obviously, so so I asked the guy around my size. So. But I know it is a privilege to be here today and to share the gospel with you. It's going to be, I would say, a very uh, encouraging message. It's going to be kind of bilateral. It's going to be, for the Church of Christ, uh, more of an encouraging. It can be a challenging message, but at the same time, for those who may be here for the first time, uh, it's going to be, uh, likewise, very encouraging, and it can be challenging. Um, I like to speak in a very simple matter. I don't speak very technically. I believe the, what C.S. Lewis said one time, if I speak up here to hear myself talk and sound so complicated and the average person doesn't understand it, the odds are probably the person doing the speaking doesn't understand it neither. So I like to put the cookies on the bottom shelf as far as I can. Um, just out of curiosity, is anybody here for the first time, uh, if you just slip your hand up and put it back down, uh, that would be great. Um, I know we also have people listening online, so I just want to thank you, I just want to thank you for giving me a hearing today. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, I'm actually, uh, if you're here for the first time, a, a delivery guy. I'm not a big person of the cloth, the only type of person of the cloth I am is a toilet paper delivery guy, so how do you like that? You come here for the first time and you definitely heard from the man of the cloth in more ways than one. So. God oh, bless you. But don't laugh too hard, because during the pandemic, we were a big deal. So, instead of driving the ice cream truck, I was driving the toilet paper truck, and adults were running, yelling, teepee. <laughs> so, no, but it, it's a blessing to be here, and it just shows how God can use anyone, you know, whether you have great credentials or you don't have any credentials at all, that nothing's impossible for Jesus Christ and for God. And, and I just think that I, I've just come to the place where I'm very gracious Um, that he doesn't choose anyone because of their big reputation or the great vocabulary or the great oratory skills but he chooses people to draw attention to himself and that's what I'm here to do to as the bible says that we would decrease and really do that not just quote it from the bible but to be a living expression of that so that way we can make much of him and to reveal to each and every one of us whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for 30 years how He's truly the locus in some of our lives. Um, So what I'm going to do, first I want to say thanks for my family's patience. Whenever I come up here to speak, there's always a week where I'm off. Emotionally, it's a real difficult thing to come up here. Um, So I just thank you for your patience. And uh, I just want to thank my daughter Faith because the passage I chose to speak about came from her so if there's something you do not like hearing she's right there you can tell her everything that I say that you think is off you can address the issue with her but I warn you mama bear is right in front of her and she uh can give you a good right cross I know trust me so no but uh she she is a blessing it did come from her by the way I went to my daughter and I said uh honey what passage do you think I should speak on she goes how about Hebrews 11 or 12 or something like that I was like really I was like how come because they talk about faith. And her name is Faith, in case you didn't know. so. But uh, I considered that, and as I thought about it, I said, you know what? I think this would be a great, encouraging message for Christ. I mean, I mean, for the body of Christ, and maybe for somebody who's coming here for the first time. So no matter what your background here, my hope and my prayer is that you will be able to take away from it, that each and every person will be able to comprehend. Uh, I like to speak in a way that even my own children will understand it, you know, um, whether they're eight years old, whether they're 15, that they can sit there and grasp at least a good 85, 90% of what I'm saying. As long as I can do that, I think I'm okay. Um, so if you're able, um, I just ask if you could all uh, rise for the reading of God's word. I'm just gonna read three verses. And it says in a book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1, therefore, Since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God in heaven, Lord, I just thank you for calling me to be up here, Lord, and uh, keeping me on my feet. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the years that you, you've uh, used me in this capacity, Lord, and uh, I just pray that the eyes of the people would do so much far than just hear principles, but that they would see your feasts that they would see your presence and that we'd be draw closer and in love with you, that all the things sometimes that we tend to hold on to, that we would see that they were merely nothing but mud pies and that you're most precious of all, Lord. So, Lord, show yourself and show them your glory because, Lord, they're not my people, as Moses said. These are your people. So for the sake of your glory and your name, I pray that you would show up here this morning and shake the hearts of your people and those who are about to be called your people, Lord. So we thank you and ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. can be seated, please. I want to start off by simply saying thank you. Uh, I know there were some people that were passing tickets here today, and this definitely isn't a one-man show. This is a family. It's what we do, and we work together. So just because I'm the one up here speaking doesn't mean there's a lot of things that are going behind the scenes, that God knows exactly who you are. And even though the people might not know you, the one who sees you as number one in heaven uh, knows exactly who you are. And he's very you know, we're very grateful for all the work that you've contributed. Again, as I said, my family, their patience and their support. And for each and every one of you here who's actually prayed for me, I believe in the power of prayer, uh, support, and community, and I could say 100% I've been in this church between 30 and 35 years if it wasn't for the support and community of the brothers, the brethren, brothers and sisters, that I wouldn't be up here today, it would be impossible. Um, So I just want to say thanks to each and every one of you. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that, uh, to introduce this, is that Two weeks ago, we had, not celebrated, but had our 21st uh, 9-11 Memorial. Clicked on the TV this morning, and they're doing Tunnels for Towers, donations to help those who have lost loved ones, and um, to help support those who uh, lost their husbands or their wives, help them with their mortgages. And they've been a real godsend for those who... uh, count, whether it's on a spouse or whatnot, for financial means, and uh, I remember two weeks ago on a Sunday, me and my wife were watching television, and they were going all through all the recordings of the police department, fire department, um, they were going through recordings of the flight towers, you know, what was going on with the first plane, they knew it was hijacked, but they had no idea where it was heading at the time, and told, you know, uh, we unfortunately were hit with the biggest uh, terrorist attack in American soil in history. Uh, I, when they were talking about this, the commentators and the news reporters, it was like me and Jen, my wife, were we were there again. It's like I remember them saying that part. One of them for me was when I first woke up and uh, I flipped on the TV 21 years ago and watched one building in flames and it was reported that a helicopter or some Small private plane had hit the tower. Nobody knew what happened. So, and and the part that I remember, they were showing that clip again and again and again. But then, when they showed it the final time, I noticed it looked like they hit the second building. And I heard the the news broadcaster saying, "Well, here's a, a rerun of the again the plane going." And then he stopped mid-sentence. He's like, "Wait a minute, that's hitting the second tower." And that's when we finally discovered that we were under a terrorist attack. And uh, that's the part that I remember. And it seems like the world stopped, especially around us. Um, I recall, you know, uh, firemen. Uh, I recall police officers uh, trying to help people, getting people out of the building. I remember watching video where people were running for their lives after one of the towers had fallen, people covered with ash but yet you see these heroic individuals running towards the building, EMTs, uh, uh, every walk of life was running in to go save lives. There were some people trapped in there. uh, There were some response team knowing that they were never going to get out. Their main preoccupation is to get as many people out as possible. You would hear phone calls of people saying goodbye to their loved ones, especially on Flight 93. They were saying goodbye. They knew they were hijacked and you had the heroic efforts of someone that plane who risked well gave their own lives to uh, uh, to bring down a plane in shamshake pennsylvania it was believed that that plane was aiming towards either the Capitol or the white house and if it wasn't for these brave souls it would have been a much much worse situation and i remember being back in that situation uh, hearing word for word watching me and my wife are just sitting there like wow it's like we're here again. And and then as I was thinking, I thought about that following Sunday, I came to church, and the church was completely packed out, I mean, to capacity. Um, there wasn't enough chairs. I remember people were grabbing more chairs, when that typically wasn't the case. Because um, for the first time, as America was attacked in such a way, the security was shook. Before then, we were the greatest, we still are the greatest superpower in the world, but no one could touch us. We had that cloak of invincibility. Nobody can touch us, you know. Terrorism is way over, you know, uh, the Atlantic Ocean and the Middle East. You know, how are they going to affect us here? We have the greatest fighting force in the world. But then, one day, you know, on September 11th, everything changed forever. Not just uh, as a country, but also uh, individually, one-on-one. You know, people were looking for answers. People were looking for hope again. And uh, I remember also that you couldn't get an American flag. Despite all the division you saw today, there was a lot of division there as well. I remember you couldn't go to the store to buy a flag, not because people were abusing the flag, but they wanted a flag so they can wear it, you know, wave it proudly, whether they had it in their car, Uh, whether they put it in their yard, everybody wanted them, whether you were black, white, Asian, uh, Hispanic, it didn't matter. The divisions were completely decimated. They were gone. The disrespect for law enforcement and firemen, gone. And that forever changed, I believe, from my perspective, the heroism of the uh, police officers and firemen. and, And I think of Gold Star families as well, who's probably... Lost more than most of us because they just didn't lose two towers. They lost either a son or a daughter. And I think about—we all go through 911 moments, but very rarely do you see a gold star family, you know, go through such a loss at that. And how do you move forward after something like that? Uh, I know through our church, just recently, we've been to one too many memorials. Some of them were sudden, some were expected, but it's painful, each and every one. Some had, uh, have diagnoses. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, you know, he's pretty well off, and he was talking about a friend of his. He'd make million-dollar deals. And then all of a sudden, just recently, he came to him, come to find out he's level four. I believe it's brain cancer. Priorities has shifted, just like it did on 9-11. Everything has shifted forever, at least in that short span of time. And then, as we know, as it was life business as usual, we kind of forget about these things again you know, so, Um, just out of curiosity, I don't want to stop midway, but are there any law enforcement or firemen, if you could just raise your hands, uh, um, I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything like that, or a Gold Star family, somebody who's lost a loved one, if you wouldn't mind standing, I'd love to say thank you, maybe you weren't there, but you know what, you would have been if you could, and that means a lot, so if you could just stand so we can recognize you at least and and just say thank you thank you for the service you still do god bless you thank you thank you guys in the back god bless you because the job that you still do today that's not an easy job and i can imagine a spouse watching a husband going out not knowing exactly what's going to happen because it's such a crazy world today so thank you Thank you for everything you do. And after, ever since 9-11, that changed my perspective. And I, whenever I see a police officer or, or a fireman, it's like I want to go out of my... Hey, thank, thanks for what you do, you know? I remember one was standing out. Uh, like he was looking in, uh, in, con- in construction, you know, like doing detail, you know? And he was sweating tired. Bottle of water. said, seal's still closed. Are you all right if you want some water? And he was grateful for it. Simple little things like that. It changes everything. Um... And that's how I want to set up Hebrews. Um, Hebrews, and more than, well, well, number one, we don't know who the human author is who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know it was the spirit of God ultimately behind the author. If you're here today, you're saying, Dan, it was written by a person. It wasn't written by God. Well, when a house is built, you don't praise the saw, you don't praise the hammer, you praise the intelligence, the personal being behind those tools. In many ways, this is how this word was constructed. It wasn't the men in and of themselves. Their personalities involved, the way they've written, whether they were doctors, there were doctors, there were many different kings and many intelligent people, there were common people that wrote the Bible, influenced by the same spirit And there's such continuity in the Bible and the word of God that there is no contradiction. It sounds like a bold statement because somebody might think, I know many. Trust me, over 2,000 years, people's been trying to find contradictions with this book, and it has failed. It's never stood the test of time. Usually what it is is misconceptions or misstatements, but even to this day, the word of God still stands true. So if the word of God is important for you, I thank God for power. You know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, these slides here or whatnot? I am not the godfather of PowerPoint, like Pastor De Silva. I'm not gonna try, try to be, um, you know, uh, he is much taller than me And much better looking And I'm not even gonna try He's, you know, all on his own But uh, little by little I am gonna try a little bit more of this If I'm up here again But this is, in a sense the, the Spirit of God was speaking To the Jewish Christians And he knew that they were going through A lot of persecution And many different reasons Why he was writing this letter But one of the main reasons Why he was writing this letter because many of them were starting to peel off. Many of them were having their 911 moments, so to speak. Um, A lot of them converted from Judaism to Christianity, and that's a big deal back then. For us here today in the West, we lose so much, unless we go back 2,000 years ago, because it's not like you leave one church and you go to another and nothing changes. Everything's business as usual. For a Jewish person practicing Judaism, to become a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, the nine out of 10 times they lose everything. Think about it. There was no EBT cards, food stamps, if you will. There was no government assistance. The way they survived, survived was community-based. There was no individualistic thinking like here in the West. Like, you know, this is my yard, this is my business, this is my bed, I'll lay in it. There was none of that back then. Everybody knew everybody's business. Uh, there wasn't just, oh, that's per- such and such's child, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, no. You, that some, a neighbor disciplined that child and brought that child to the parent and he probably got it twice as bad afterwards. It was very tightly knit and that's the way it was in Judaism. So to separate that, they knew that they weren't just gonna lose the community and their well-being. In extreme cases, sometimes it was contact with their own families if they weren't Christians. You know, uh, we think we came up with a six-foot rule during the pandemic, but as I read the, the Jewish laws and regulations a little bit, there was a six foot rule back then. For someone who was excommunicated from the faith like that, from, from Judaism and became a Christian, they were uh, told not to be within six feet within that individual, even in their own family. No contact, no discussions, nothing. They were completely alone completely alone, so they had a lot, it wasn't, you know, again, let me, I'm a Christian now, you know, and maybe there's small little minor details that caused them to peel away, no, there was lots of, excuse me, lots of pressure, it wasn't to the point that they were being martyred yet, but it was a a, a situation that they were being separated for everything they've known, and everything they've loved, just like we did on 9-11, we're putting on our shoes in the morning, maybe somebody's getting ready to go to work in New York, never having an idea what was going to happen. It's like the bottom completely fell out. And it's kind of, this is what's going on with these Jewish Christians. So the Spirit of God in the Scriptures wants to encourage them. He's not detached from their pain. He's going to give them encouragement. And I want to do that for each and every one of you because even though we might not go through the same things, we all are not immune from pain and struggling and disappointment. There was an individual a long time ago used to come here. His name was... I think it was Joe Gibbs, attorney Joe Gibbs, is that his name? David Gibbs, Gibbs, thank you. Um, And he said this one saying that always stuck like a worm in my head. I never forgot it because it's so true. He says, You know, church, it only takes one phone call to turn your life upside down, just one. You can be on cloud nine, everything's going so well. And with that one phone call, everything changes forever. Just like 9 11. This is what was going on with the Jewish Christians. They were tempted to walk away, it was too much. You know, and I think of uh, a passage in the Bible in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. uh, We're speaking about the prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah had a, God used him for a great victory to turn Israel back to to God, back to himself. They were worshiping other idols, other gods. And after this great act that God used them, somewhat of a revival, kind of like when after the attacks, people flooded the church again. It was something like that so to speak, people were vitalized and they were zealous, just like it was for a little while, just like with us here uh, after 9-11. But the story goes on to say that uh, after that great victory, the the hierarchy, the king and the queen particularly, didn't like that very much, so she put a bounty on his head, the death sentence, that he wasn't gonna live 24 hours from now, and when he got the news, he panicked. He ran as as fast as he could out of the city. And he was by himself, and, and the story goes on. It says that uh, uh, he pretty much wanted to die. He had it. He was so discouraged and disappointed. And he came to, this, this prophet spoke to God out in the wilderness. And it's like God saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah would respond and says, you know, I've been zealous for your word, you know, and I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left that's here. And uh, to make a long story short, God responds to him and says pretty much, no, Elijah, you are not the only one left. I have 7,000 others that are hidden out in caves that are suffering and struggling just like you. So the reason why I want to bring that up is because, number one, we're never alone. It seems like we're alone when we're going through it individually, but they're not. That's why the word of God reminds us in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, don't forsake the meeting together. It's not just to get more Bible knowledge in your head and to be able to quote it and you know, uh, and that being an end in and of itself. I mean, thank God for Bible doctrine. It brings boundaries to the truth so you don't go outside the lines. But at the same time, it brings support of, uh, from the presence of God through other like-minded people, believers. I remember when I was a teenager, I used to go to a program called Alateen, Alcoholics Anonymous for Teenagers. I didn't necessarily drank or anything, but I grew up in a household that that was uh, predominantly, you know, damaging. You see a lot of different things, so one of my parents decided to send me to one of these programs just so I can see for myself what other people are going through. Never wanted to be there. I was a teenager. I knew everything. But I would hear all these other teenagers and listen to their stories, and there was some similarities. And what bring... I never told them, but what brought me some sense, sense of solace I wasn't the only one going through certain things, that there were other people going through those things as well. And as we gathered together, that was that sense of encouragement that we're in it together, so to speak. Uh, I'll use an illustration as far as uh, when I was in the military. Uh, This was many moons ago, uh, 94 to 98 in the Marine Corps. Uh, I'd be retired by now. If I stayed in, I'd probably work at Walmart putting smiley stickers on little kids. Welcome to Walmart. But uh, that wasn't the plan, apparently. But I remember uh, we used to be part of a special ops uh, uh, marine team, so to speak. Uh, so the training was kind of excessive, whether it was in the water, in the beach, did a lot of swimming, a lot of forced marches, a little more than usual. It was a tough outfit to get into. Um, and I remember we were going like a 20-something mile force march. And I was stationed in a desert base filled with sand. We had full combat gear, boots, packed with water and all, you know, radios and many different things, and it wasn't a flat level, there was, you know, rolling hills and mountains and rocks, and I remember as we were going, uh, I see a lot of guys just peeling away, some of them just completely passing out, and I remember the staff sergeant in front of us, he says, keep moving, there's people to take care of them, don't, you know, go help them, they have medics behind us to pick up the people who pass out and to put IVs because, you know, to rehydrate them, but I remember, and I was going through so much anguish, so much pain, and the only thing I could do for me is keep my eyes and the guy in front of me because I knew in the back of my head he was going through the same anguish I was. You see, if I was going through something like that by myself, I would have never made it. I would have just done. There would have been not, not that umph to keep going, that unction, if you will. But I, I said to myself... If this man in front of me can make it, if he can keep going, he has two legs just like me. He has a mind just like me. He has two arms, he's carrying the same weight I am, wearing the same gear. If he can do it, there's hope for me and I can do it too. And that's what we have in the body of Christ. That's why it's so important to gather together as one. Again, increase your knowledge in the word of God, but it can't be an end in of itself. Because it won't work. It doesn't work that way. We need one another. It makes me think of people who are here who've gone home to be with the Lord. How many people know Jimmy Moore? Jimmy Moore, he had palsy. He was in a in a wheelchair, motorized wheelchair. And what I, I remember, me and Tommy Texera and you know Neil Tozer, we had a band of brothers and we'd meet at his house uh, pretty often. Once every week, every two weeks, something like that. What we noticed about him is he inspired us so much because... Uh, you have people passing tickets out to, you know, uh, like for instance what we did for Invitation Sunday for Stop and Shop, he would pass out tracks almost every day in his motorized chair. Cannot move, cannot use the bathroom on his to really understand what he's saying. His speech is a little slow, so you gotta be kinda patient. He couldn't do anything on his own, but what he would do in his motorized wheelchair is go through Swansea, and somebody, you'd see him. If you're from around here, you'd see him all the time passing out tracks. Sharing about Jesus Christ. Here I am, two able arms, two legs. It depends how you define normal, you know. Um, but I guarantee you, he's probably reached more to Jesus Christ than I ever could, probably than most of us ever could. And Tommy knows. Tommy will tell you, like, yeah, that brother passing out tickets to Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. There was no shame because he loved what his Savior did for him. Um, Jerry Fontaine, another one. You see that brother? Special needs, walking all over the place. Um, you know, sometimes I don't want to t- pick the brother up because the brother's be all sweaty walking around. And I'm driving in my car, and I feel the Lord saying, do not you pick up your brother, Jerry?" You know. And I kind of turn up the radio, and I'll go right by him. But <laughs> no, no. But then you know, then the Lord gets a hold of you and say, like, "Dan, pick up your brother. Would you do that for me?" And then so he gets his way. So I turn the wheel around and I go up to him. I say, "Jerry, where you going?" He says, oh, I'm going to a parish, you know. Uh, they have a, what do you call it? Uh, you know, you feed in the hungry, a shelter or whatnot. And he always did stuff like that, you know. And so whenever I saw him, yes, I would, I would pick him up and I'd drop him off at what parish or what church he wanted to attend. Special needs guy, limping, you know. He wasn't like he was really able-bodied neither. But he gave his all because he loved people and he loved Jesus Christ. He used to be up here in part of the choir. Wasn't always in tune, but his heart was beautiful, and I think it made God smile, you know? It's kind of like one of those pictures, you know, your kids draw you a picture, squiggly lines, and you pick it out like my daughter did that. She's a beautiful artist right now, but when she was small starting, barely understood what it was, but, you know, but what did I do? I looked at it, and I says, thank you, baby. It looks beautiful. I'll hang it up in my delivery truck. You know why? Because she did it. She did it, and she wanted to please me. And I know God was pleased with people like uh, Jimmy Moore and uh, Jerry Fontaine. Sometimes it's so easy to overlook people like that, but for me, those are the champions of the faith. Um, So I think that's what, uh, I mean, for me personally, before I move on, as far as being surrounded by others, that's what the spirit of God was alluding to to these Jewish Christians. Surround yourself In chapter 12, he says, therefore, it means previous chapter, he gives them all these examples of people who went through the same things and even worse things, but they didn't give up on their faith. I've met a lot of people who says, I used to believe in God, but then this happened. And, you know, I'm quite sympathetic. Sometimes those things are really hard. But then you have others who go through even worse situations, and somehow, some way, they keep moving forward just like when i was in the military and inwardly i just wanted to die and it was so fierce that the medic would come to the front and give the uh, sergeant a tongue lash and say, i remember him saying this, he says you're going to kill your guys what are you doing but the sergeant knew what he was doing he was preparing us in case, case we had to go through a real conflict we pushed ourselves to limits that we would have never imagined because we loved one another because we loved one another we weren't trying to be number 1 it's just a group trying to be the best like, a, you know, it, it wouldn't work. It's love that kept driving us forward. So as we gather together, we prefer the other person, have them be number one. You know, so that way, no matter what we go through in life, we have purpose that God uses it in the end. We see this through many, many examples. Again, Jerry, Jimmy, you have Brother Mike Brown who would have messed up back, you know. When he was up here sharing, he kind of twisted that, had no idea what was going on. You know, I thought he, I don't know, Honestly, I came from a Pente- Pentecostal background. I thought maybe he might be doing a spirit thing. I don't know. He twisted a little bit. But then I saw people come up. I said, wait, hey, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's what's up with Mike? You know, and, uh, and I love Mike. He knows I'm messing with him. But uh, no, but he, it's not easy for him to come up here. You know? And still, he says to me all the time, you know, no matter what I go through, um, I still trust him. I still believe him. I'm still gonna be, move forward. He's kind of like my buddy in the military. I'm keeping my eyes on people like that, saying, if they can do it, so can I. This is what uh, the Spirit of God was speaking to these Jewish Christians. There's people who've gone before you and done this. If they can do it, so could you, because it isn't so much in and of themselves. It isn't their faith upon faith, but who they choose to put the faith in that matters, whether it's a little faith or great faith. It's the object of your faith that keeps you afloat, not your faith in faith for faith's sake like our culture likes to believe. For me personally, um, is that an accurate time, 11.45? Holy smokes. Well, let's skip this. <laughs> Let me see. That ain't happening. For a guy who doesn't like to talk, I don't shut up. Okay. alright We're gonna go. All right, I'm gonna move off the, strip off every weight. Why do we do that? That's another thing the spirit of God told them. But what's the motive for it? Now, I'm going to use another military analogy. Um, we had to be good swimmers, and we were thrashed all the time. We were tortured in the water. Now, I was a strong, on the ground, I would help pull guys who was trying to full, pull back me and another guy. But in the water, we were really weak. I mean, I was a good swimmer. I probably was an equivalent of a lifeguard. But these guys were like seals. They were like all over the place, a completely different class. And uh, I remember we were in our water for like 45 minutes to an hour, getting thrashed, full combat gear, had to swim. So in the end, to close it out, they says there was like 20 of us. They says we stood on the side before we jumped back in. He says, first one to touch the other wall gets out, and the pain stops. So, um, so everybody jumps in the water. Naturally, I'm the last one, not even close. I mean, I'm not quitting. I'm still going. I'm plopping. And, um, and I'm way behind, and everybody's just waiting for me standing up. I'm barely pulling myself up. And then he blows the whistle again. That's for the next one. As soon as they touch the wall, he's out. And this is what happened. They were going to the wall, and before they touched the wall, you know what they did? No one touched the wall. They said, this one's Dan's. So don't touch him. Don't touch the wall. This one's for Dan. And I'm trying to go as hard as I could. I felt like I was going like halfway in the water, but ne- never quit, never quit. And all of a sudden... You know, I don't know if some guys didn't hear, but they said this one's for Melendez. You got it because they remembered what I did for them in the process, and it was reciprocal the way that we loved one another. And nobody touched it, and they let me touch the top of the thing of the pool. You know, and one of the guys helped me out because you've got all this clothes and weight. And I remember sitting there, water coming out of my mouth, and uh, all of a sudden the whistle blows. Everybody has to jump back in again, and I tried to. I said, Dan, you're good. You don't have to. You know, you're done. You, You can go back to the barracks. And I couldn't help, this is the thought that's still ingrained in my mind. I see them swimming away and I realize what they just did for me and how much they loved me. And I said, there's no way I'm gonna sit here like this. I would gladly go through so much more pain for those guys than what they did for me. So I rolled my carcass back in the water and I remember again, you know, and and the instructor says, Dan, you're done, what are you doing? Can't you hear? It was like somebody from another unit and then the guys realized what I was doing and it inspired them, so to speak. But why did I do that? I wanted to, it doesn't matter how much pain I went through because when I see that level of love, and likewise, when I see I'm pulling them forward, you know, as they're grabbing my H harness, even though I'm going through pain, it's like the love is reciprocal. The love is everything. And in a sense, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Why do we gather together? Why do we um, strip off weight? If it's just for its own sake, it means nothing. It won't last too long. It'll just be like another club where we gather together. If it's stripping off, you know, it's more legalism. If there's no reality to it, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do this. But if you don't do those things because of the presence of God and you've seen what he's done in your life, that changes everything. Now it takes the words of God and it brings you to life. There's real reality to it now. Um... Uh, In the word of God, it says, when we receive this love for ourselves, when we realize that we fall short and that we're broken and that we need him and that we're sinners and receive his forgiveness and we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, who number one says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way before me. I've heard more than one time I cared to hear. Dan, I'm glad you're saying that, but I, I believe all paths lead to the top. And I would sit there, and I'd hear where they're coming from. I'd simply say this. I'd say, all paths lead to the top, so let's imagine a mountain. And what vantage point in that mountain would you have to be to know that all paths go to the top, at the base or on the top of the mountain? They'd say, top of the mountain. And I'd say to him, what vantage point did Jesus say that he had? He claimed to be God. He says, Jesus. Well, Jesus says, I am the only way, that he's the only path. In order to know all paths to the top, who do you have to claim to be to know all, clo- uh, all paths go to the top? Because the, the only person who knows every, all roads go to the top is God himself. We don't. We're stuck down here. Jesus Christ says, I am the only way. There isn't another way. It's a me or nothing. Nothing. Why can't we be, I think my brother Paul said one time, if there was a thousand different ways, we still wouldn't be convinced. We say, why isn't there 1,001 ways to heaven? Because the problem isn't, isn't an amount of ways. The, the problem is, is the disposition of our heart. We want it our way. Why can't, why can't we be happy with the one way he's provided through the cross? He's given it freely for you and for me. What does it mean to be in Christ if you're here for the first, you know, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, what does that mean? I remember a true story of a mom who lost her son in a car wreck. He was an organ donor. There was another mom on the other side of the country who needed a heart desperately, and he was on the verge of death. He was going towards last leg, so to speak. They couldn't find a match. Um, it was found out that the gentleman who had just died, they were able to use his heart. So to make a long story short, everything was settled. He got his heart just in time. Uh, The two moms met, they they called, you know, they made contact, and the agreement was with the uh, deceased son's mom would say, hey, look, when your son's better, can I come and see him? You know, when he's up to speed, doesn't want to rush it. So everything was all set. She came somewhere in the east coast to the west coast to spend some time with that family. You know, and uh, the mom would talk to the son, what's about to be done? So uh, the mom who had lost the son looked at the little boy who's alive and says, can I do it now? Is it okay? And the mom of this little boy says, yeah, go ahead. So she goes in the car, she comes out with a bag, unzips it, and she pulls out a stethoscope. I can't have this, a cinnamon, Uh stesicle, you know, the heart things, whatever. <laughs> and um, what she did was, she un-, un the buttons of this little boy, and she listened to this little boy's heart. And it was beating. And sh- what she was listening to is her son's heart beating inside this little boy. That as she looks at this little boy, she's seeing the little boy, he's alive, but she's seeing her own son. That's what it means to be in Christ. Does God the Father look at you and see the heartbeat of Jesus Christ beating vibrantly in you? Not just as a a bunch of rules and uh, precepts, but you have real life. That as the Father sees you, he sees you individually, but he finds pleasure because of the heart of his son Beating in you, giving to you freely Didn't have to be earned That's what he wants For you and I That's what he wants And this is also for the church as well And this is going to be a little challenging And I'm going to begin to bring this down a little bit Um, This is going to be a little challenging A little tough love for the church Because it's tough love for me as well And I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon came with this Beautiful illustration Of what this really is He says, imagine that we're all sitting here and one of the greatest cooks, besides my wife, is Fatima. (laughs) Imagine Fatima put a big spread, I mean, greatest Portuguese food that you can ever think, sitting right here. Now imagine, real quickly, that a pig came right through those front two doors where Paul is standing. He lets the pig in. And then over here, you have a bowl of slop, a big bucket. Where do you think the pig is gonna go? The pig is not gonna go to the good, fresh food. He's always gonna go to the slop he goes there every single time, why? Because that's his nature. The only way that entity that comes through the door is not gonna go to the slop unless that being is transformed into a person. But yet, like, my, like myself, I find many times, why is it do I find my head in a slop sometimes? Why do I keep going back to the same old things? Now, I'm talking about myself, y'all can play poker, but this times I still find myself in that slop and I gotta look at myself, say, Lord, is this real? But what I've come to find is a difference. No one is perfect. We're all still uh, struggle with sin each and every day. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but here's the difference. Do you enjoy eating the slop? Every time I'm in there, it's kinda like, I know I shouldn't be eating this, and I don't even like this. Why am I doing this? That's the difference. That's how you know if you're transformed. But if you're still eating the slop, being a follower of Jesus Christ, and enjoying eating the slop, do we have the heartbeat of Jesus Christ beating inside us? That's so important. It's so real. And I'll use this uh, last illustration about a pastor who went to visit somebody who had walked away from the church, and uh, he went to go visit him, and, uh, you know, and I, he says, no, I know, pastor, I know I need to go back to church. He says, but I hear you've been hitting up the bars again. You're alcoholic. What's going on? He goes, I know, I know, pastor, I know. Uh, I just love to drink, but I know I shouldn't, but I love drinking. I'll go to church on Sunday. Is this okay, but he said, I also heard that you have an affair, you, what's going on? He goes, pastor, I love women. You know, I, It's always been a weakness of mine. I love women, but I know I shouldn't do it. I'll be back to church on Sunday. And the pastor was so sad because what he heard, it wasn't going back to church that made him happy. His biggest concern is when he says, I enjoyed those things. When you have new life and a new heart in Jesus Christ, Your whole disposition changes. The things that you used to do, you might fall back into them for a season, but you won't like how it tastes. You'll wanna go back to where Christ wants you to be. And little by little, he changes you. In order for the world to take us seriously, we gotta stay away from that slop and despise the slop. If we don't, it doesn't matter how well a message is preached up here. Because I believe, I think Aristotle said this. He says, never ask a person what they believe. He says, if you want to know what a person believes, watch what they do. That'll tell you what they believe. That's challenging for me too. Let this new life in Jesus Christ be so vibrant. But if he truly belongs to you, he will never, ever, ever, ever believe, I mean, uh, forsake you and leave you. You could feel like you're the only one on the planet. He's there. I used to like hide behind a tree when my son's playing with other friends let's see, see how he socially interacts and then he's looking around and where's dad? You know he's starting to panic and I just kind of say hey, my eyes are never off of him and if you belong to Jesus Christ he will never abandon you even if you're at your worst. Even though you're running the race of life and then all of a sudden you've got a pulled hamstring and it feels like you he will never leave you. He'll help you back up again. You know why? Because your desire is not to keep eating slop. He knows the desire of your heart. He's changing you to be himself little by little. He's preparing you for his other world. You're never alone. The footprints poem, you know, where you see two sets of footprints. You know, you or the person walking with Jesus and then towards the end you see one footprint, and they go to the Lord, where were you? I needed you. And he says, my child, I never left you. I was carrying you. Do you know that's not true? This is the truth. There was always one set of footprints the whole way. Even when you think you got it so good, it's only because it came from him in the first place. So when you feel like you pulled your hamstring in the race of life, and you can't get up, and you belong to him, you can rest assured he's gonna come to your rescue. He will never abandon you. Um, I'm gonna show one video before I close, just like the last time. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of Derek Esmond. Derek Esmond. He was an Olympian in 1992, a Barcelona He represented Great Britain. He was uh, tipped to win the 400-meter run. Uh, He was the favorite. They said, he's going to win it. Uh, He's going to get the gold. As the gun went off, about 250 meters into the run, um, exactly that happened. He gave his testimony afterwards. He didn't just pull his hamstring. He said it completely tore. He heard a pop, and he knew his career just like that. was all over you seen him, he collapsed to the ground, he could barely even get up, going through anguish and pain. But he wanted to finish his race. He wanted, to, the, the Brits are kinda like that, they have that type of uh, tenacity, that no matter what, even though he wasn't coming in first, he was gonna finish, he was gonna finish his race, even, even though it might look sloppy, even though he might be last. And uh, I'm gonna ask Andy if you could just uh, put the video up and um, I'll give an altar call and I'll close after the video. If you could do that Andy, that would be great. never, ever leave you nor forsake you. No matter where you are in the track of life, he'll be there for you. No matter how far you think you've fallen, he will be there for you. And just like the footprints, he'll bring you the whole way. Um, If you don't know Jesus Christ today, this is what he wants to do for you as well. Uh, Because he's the only God in human history and any kind of worldview that he suffers with his people and for his people. And he suffered for you much more than a pulled hamstring. He gave his whole life for you. And when you discover and learn that love from Jesus Christ and you're forgiven and the extent of what he's done for you, there's nothing that you won't do for him in reciprocal because love is the motive. You don't care about being right all the time. You don't care about being number one anymore because the one who is number one truly took my place. So, um, with that um, if you have any questions about anything uh, I'll be here I know they have some of the elders or whatnot uh, don't be afraid to go to them just um, ask them any further questions or just receive just ask the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness it's that simple it's not complicated it's not some formula it's just changing your heart and mind and says take my brokenness and give me your life I need it there is no other hope and you'll have it that's all you have to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close in prayer and see us off. So uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the privilege of bringing your word Lord and just using me as an instrument. I pray that it was an encouragement and a little bit of a challenge for some. Uh, But I pray Lord, if there is someone who wants to believe and trust in you and know this love, the level of forgiveness that you've Uh, purchased for them Lord that they would come to believe and trust in you and what made these men of faith so great wasn't in themselves but their trust and this great love that was given for them so Lord we thank you bless each and every one here today Lord and I just pray that this message Lord would change each and every one of us down to our core so that Monday through Saturday we'd be a complete different person so Lord we thank you and we lift all these things up to you for your glory in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for coming. You dismiss. one